You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. We're just now in, in a portion of chapter 2 of James, and we're going to keep going. Um, I'm going to, uh, after today, I'm going to step aside for a few weeks and let uh, some other people share some of James with you. Uh, and so uh, next Sunday, you will hear from one of our elders. Uh, Elder Roy Christian will be preaching to you uh, from uh, the Gospel of James next Sunday. So that should be uh, a very exciting time uh, for us uh, as a church to hear uh, from Elder Roy. Um, The following Sunday after that, uh, I believe Nathan Hitchcock, uh, Dr. Professor Dr. Hitchcock, will be uh, uh, preaching. for you, uh, and uh, so that'll be a great time as well. And then um, the, I think after that, maybe it's the uh, illustrious ordained pastor uh, David Sinkgraven that will be uh, uh, preaching for you. Okay, so uh, and then I'll, I'll come back behind that. But we're gonna we're gonna let you hear from some other men in the in the church and and, and hear what they, their take is on some of these these passages from the book of James. I hope you're reading it. I hope you're reading it through weekly. I hope you're reading it through daily. But uh, I hope you are definitely reading it through each each week and meditating on it. My life group that I'm a part of, our our leader, uh, he had us read out loud the entire book of James at our last life group. And it was a a wonderful experience for us to do that together and then pick up the main themes along the way. And I really, really enjoyed that take on it as as well. So let's get into uh, a portion of James chapter 2 this morning. And let me take you through a little bit here. Uh, And then we're going to go out and eat some really savory, wonderful smelling food out there uh, in in just a little bit here, okay? All right, we're going to begin at verse 14 of chapter 2. Let's just read to the end of the chapter here. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. God, would you just open our hearts this morning and our minds to understand with clarity? Would you let your word just sink deep in us today? Would you let this word uh, temper us and ignite us and challenge us today? Would we become a people who embrace faith powerfully and and dynamically and even dramatically 
and that we do so with the intent of doing those things in obedience that that faith pulls up in us and stirs up in us. Would you help us today, Lord, that we would leave here determined that we will do those things that we need to do to demonstrate the faith that we embrace. And would you help us to be willing to do anything, even though it challenges us greatly as an act of obedience unto you, that you may get glory and honor and praise, and that we, your people, may be found faithful and obedient unto you, giving you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, all of us, you know, throughout our lives, we've, we've been given many opportunities to learn and, and, and to develop. And, and one of the things that we develop as, as, as people of God is strong convictions about many things, all right? We, we have very strong beliefs, all right? Uh, we have these, these firm convictions about what is right and what is wrong. And, and, and God wants us to have convictions, and God wants us to hold strong convictions, all right? He wants us to have sincerity and, and, and strength about what we do believe. But consider this. Every truth that we hold with conviction has an implied responsibility or action that is associated with it. All right? We can't separate what we believe with what we are or how we live. All right? You, you, you can't get those to, to live apart from each other. So whatever you are believing at this point, at this juncture in your life, whatever your, your deep convictions are, there is an implied responsibility that goes along with that. And if you really believe, then you need to do. All right? And, and so it isn't, it isn't something that we do just based on, on being performance-oriented or, or we're going we're gonna to prove something or get somebody's uh, 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 affirmation or, or get a reward in some way. But it's that there's something behind what we do, and that is a deep underlying conviction that we really believe what is, is the impetus of this action that is going on in our lives. This is why I do what I do, because I believe. And I have this, this really strong conviction. Yet, it, it, it's really easy to think in our minds and, and to become convinced that we are good Christians on the merits of how strongly we believe rather than what we do. But I believe. I truly believe. And somehow we put a period right there and we don't go beyond that. We agree with others who have strong convictions and, and who live out biblical truths, all right? But, but it's more than just asking what does God think about this or what does God say about this. And so here in chapter 2, we begin to get a better understanding because James here starts to confront this common mindset here that is among us, the church. Uh, we just are going to believe and, and we're just going to have a faith. But that faith doesn't seem to walk itself out in any kind of tangible or, or practical obedient ways, all right? So what is the, the main theme of this portion right here? It is this, that faith without works is dead. It is a dead faith. In other words, it, it has no life to it. It has no substance to it, all right? And it's important that, that we define these, these terms a little bit here because uh, we, we don't want to uh, produce some kind of conflict in the Scriptures, all right? We don't want to have something that, that can't be reconciled in, in the Scriptures here. So, so let, let's look at this, all right? By faith, 
the word faith here. By faith, James is referring here in this passage to that, that intellectual acknowledgement of truth, all right? That, that mental acceptance of some biblical um, presupposition, all right? This is what I believe. I read the Bible. This is what I believe, all right? This is my conviction as I read God's Word, all right? Now, when he talks about works here, he's referring to acts of obedience, all right? And these are acts of obedience that show allegiance here to the truth. There's a correlation. There's a connection, if you will. You don't separate the obedience from the truth here. All right? So he he speaks of, of, of the performance of deeds, yes. But he speaks of it as putting truth in action. All right? So, so just as the spirit must be joined to the body so that, that the body becomes alive, works must be joined to faith so that faith comes alive. And this is why he can say, let, if you don't have these works, then you don't have real faith. Your faith is dead faith. All right? So what he's saying here, let, let, let's, let's go back now and, and go through this just a little bit. Let me read again, starting at verse 14. What good is it? If a man claims to have faith, but he doesn't have these deeds, can such faith save him? That's that's an amazing question, isn't it? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothing and daily food, and if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm. Keep well fed. But you don't do anything about these needs, these very physical, practical needs. What good is it? All right? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Here's a man with a strong conviction, all right? I believe all brothers and sisters should have the essential necessities of life, all right? That's what, that's what the, the, the example here is, okay? Here, here, here's a man with good intentions, all right? Go in peace. Be warmed and filled, all right? The first statement is one of conviction. I believe everybody should have their needs met. The second is one of good intentions. You just go in peace, be warmed, be filled. Do you see the the, the delusion right there? The the incongruency? Above all else, it's just not like Jesus. All right? This man does not see himself here as God sees him. His good intentions here, his his well wishes, if you will, have deceived him. He's wishing the best for everybody. He's desiring the best for everybody. But he's really missing the point here, and that is that he is the one who ought to help this man or this woman. That kind of faith in the kingdom of God is useless. That kind of faith in the church is useless. How many times have you said something on that order? You know, I wish you the best. Well, I I hope things will work out for you. Someone comes along and they're expressing need in their lives. Now, please understand me. Let let me qualify this. I'm not saying that you have to be the answer man for everybody. I'm not saying you have the answer for everybody. But how many of you have experienced a time in your life where you walked away from a situation and there was a restlessness inside of you? For some of you, maybe even a torment inside of you. There was something I should have done in that particular situation. And all I did was give lip service to my faith. You know, when in actuality, God was expecting of me and, and had provided for me the resources necessary or the gifts necessary or the skills necessary that I could be the person who could actually help that individual. 
And so the challenge for you and I here is that, that we are doing more than talking, all right? We are, the, we are the ones. We are the church. We are the ones who ought to be doing. We ought to be helping in some way. People are always talking about, about what, what they would like to see done, you know? This isn't, I'm not saying this just because I'm a pastor, but it is, it is one, one of the situations that, is, that amazes me. Um, I believe there ought to be uh, more support for pastors. You know, and and, and, and that is a, that's a noble thing to think and, and to desire for, for the, the pastors. But it's interesting that the, the clergy, uh, pastors, in, especially in smaller churches in America, and smaller churches make up most of the churches in America, all right? Most churches in America are 200 people or less, all right? Uh, but it is one of the, the uh, uh, areas in, in our professions that is, is most likely for a man to leave that profession before he is 45 years of age and go into something else today in America. I'm talking in America now, Okay. Um, and oftentimes when those men who leave the profession of ministry are asked, why did you leave? Most of the time they will say, I did not feel supported. And it was, it was costing my family in some capacity. All right? Now, those, those percentages may be changing even, even more. I, I don't know. Um, but, but what I'm saying here is that you know, we as a church, oftentimes we say, oh, I, I, I wish that for you. I, I wish that for you. I, I wish that for you. And yet in some of those situations, we are the very people who God is calling to do those things that we have some feelings or convictions about, you know. I, I believe there ought to be more love in the congregation. I, I agree, you know. I believe there ought to be more enthusiasm in worship. I agree. I believe more people ought to be being baptized. I agree, all right. But it is you and I who are responsible to create this environment and give of ourselves in such a way that these things can begin to happen. Now, now I, I'm giving you things within the context of the local church and, 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 the, and the ministry, but, but we're asking you also to not stay in here all the time. We're asking you not just to come here on Sunday morning for worship. All right, and to, to hear the pastors and support the pastors and be lively and worship and pray passionately and, 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 and read the scriptures and, 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 and let, them, let them have power in, in our lives. We're saying to you, leave here. Go out there. Reach into the neighborhood. Get involved in, in some way. And out there, you're going to hear a lot more need than you are in here, probably. I know you are. And so I, I think this is something where we need to begin to look at this as a church as to how do we, how can we uh, corporately and individually put our faith to work? How can we live this faith out day to day in very tangible ways, not just wishing good upon people, not just having a, a, a will for good things for people, but saying, I can be that instrument, I can be that vessel that God uses to do something and show my obedience and thereby give life to my faith. Faith coupled with right emotions without works is still dead faith. Let's go a little further. Look at verse 18. Someone will say to you, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? What a, what a question. I, I want to I challenge you and I that um, we live beyond emotion. See, we're made so that what we believe with conviction often stirs our emotions. And so we can get very emotional. We can get very feely. We can, we can have strong feelings about things. And, and sometimes they show right through. I was amazed. I have been amazed all along over the abortion issue. I am, I am very much against abortion. I want to be one of those people who is standing against abortion. And I have stood in front of abortion clinics. And, and I have, have walked with, with posters. And I've been in rallies and, and all those kinds of things. It's very much a, a big deal for me. But one of the things that, that has so troubled me about the issue uh, of abortion and the church and its responsibilities that oftentimes I've seen, I've seen emotions rule in people who are standing against abortion and oftentimes I see more righteous indignation and judgment than I do really the heart of God. And I really want to challenge us as a body of believers that we do it right. You know, we get in there. I think that uh, James isn't saying don't be passionate. James isn't saying don't be emotional. I think James was in one of the most passionate and emotional seasons of the church that's ever been. That, that early church was so, so persecuted and so exploited and so fragmented. And I think those were some major emotional times. They're seeing their brothers and sisters murdered for the faith. They're seeing them, them ripped apart by wild animals. I mean, there's unbelievable torturous things going on in the church. And, and families are being just ripped apart and spread all over the country. I, I can't imagine more emotional, uh, passionate times than in the day of James. I believe the church has got to be a church of love. And oftentimes in that abortion issue, when, when, when I was with my brothers and sisters, I would be troubled by, by how much of that sort of righteous indignation was going out and how much judgment was going against a young woman. Great compassion for her unborn child, but tremendous judgment for the young woman. Do you understand what, I, what I'm saying? It is, it, that kind of, of um, incongruency really troubles me for the church. And, and I, I oftentimes thought, I wonder what it would be like if more of the church could say, hey, um, uh, let us take you in and love you and value you as a young woman. Let us love you and, and value you and take care of you. And we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to carry you through this. We'll give our resources. We'll give our homes. We'll, we'll give our, our finances. We'll give whatever is necessary to walk with you so that you are not alone in this. And you're not being judged out there in society or in, in the church. And we will cover you. We will cover you. Because love covers a multitude of sin. And I want to challenge you and I that that is the kind of faith that we are grabbing a hold of in this day. Pastor Dave and I were talking this week about some of these things. And we were talking about just people in the church. And what if they did something 
extremely radical, you know, that, that would, uh, would be uh, 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 unbelievable. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what, what we said, and I haven't prefaced this or warned the person that I'm going to talk about here, but Larry, it's you, all right? I'm going to talk about you today, all right? But we were just talking about farmers, you know, farming and farmers, and, and, and what, if, what if a farmer, you know, a farmer could lose his, Larry can tell you this, all right? And, and others who are, are coming from farm homes, Jack can tell you this, um, you can lose a crop in an hour. A good hailstorm, take it out, you know. Uh, 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 early snow can ruin you. you, know, you so, so any given year, it's up for grabs. You could lose, folks. A farmer can lose like that. It's gone. It's wiped out. And we were just talking about what if a farmer like Larry just came in one day. We were sort of fantasizing, I guess, here. But, you know, what, what if a farmer like Larry came in and said, Pastors, you know, we love you. <laughs> And, and we want to, to just give you our entire crop this year. We're going to give you the entire crop. And, and, and we're just going to, let's just send it to the Horn of Africa and feed those hungry children. And I'm like, when we were talking about that, I was thinking, man, that would, James would be, I don't know what James would do. James would do something crazy. You know, he would be like, whoa, there's, that's it right there. Man, look at that. That man has faith. All right? Not only does he have such a huge faith, but he has trust. He will trust God. You know, and, and, and I know that's a, like a big, a big storyline. That's kind of like an epic storyline, and that's probably not going to happen. I wasn't inferring that you should do that, Larry. Um, but if you want to, talk to me and Dave afterwards, and we'll, we'll help you with it. Um, but what might God ask of you and I? I was sharing with our, our life group, a lady came in uh, to, to the building one day. Jan and I were here. She had, had, uh, was seeing some people, and, and she was between clients, and we were just, just out in, in the main room, and I had my back to the windows. And Jan goes, I think someone's banging on the window. You know, and so I turn around, and sure enough, there's this lady there, and she's kind of banging on the window, and I went out and talked to her. And uh, uh, make a long story short, she's headed from, from uh, Minnesota somewhere to Colorado somewhere, and she had to leave a very violently domestic situation, and she just put her two kids in a pickup truck, threw everything she had in the back, put a tarp over it in kind of a haphazard way, and uh, is fleeing, and is going to one place where she feels safe because she knows some, some people there. And uh, she had gotten this far. And she needed gas. And she was trying to get gas and couldn't get gas from different places and different churches in the community. And, and for some reason, she landed here in front of Life Church, saw the sign out there, landed in front of Life Church, banging on the window. And uh, I'm like, lady, I don't have gas. And she's in, do you have vouchers? You know, can I get gas? And so I don't have vouchers. We don't do that kind of stuff. And uh, she said, well, I, I talked to one church, and they said that, that you... You know, they, they give to some organization, and they sent me to that organization and said, I'd have to go through them, and I went there, and they said, well, you need to go through the churches. And she goes, I don't know what to do. And she was kind of teary. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I think, well, I just want to judge you right now. You know, I just want to ask you some really judgmental questions, and why in the world are you doing this? And, you know, why, why didn't you think more clearly? And why did you just get impulsive and, and do this? And weren't you thinking? And didn't you care about your children? You know, and I could go on and on and on about the things that people like me, who can get very judgmental and jump in the wrong tree and live there for a while, can do. Okay, 
uh, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden, I, I just thought, God, what? These are hard things. I don't ever know what to do. I don't know if I should give something or not. Should I hold back or should I help this person? Or Are they legit? Are they taking advantage of me? I don't like that when people take advantage of me. What if she's taking advantage of me? I probably should, should not do anything because she's probably taking advantage of me. And I clearly heard the Lord say, I've given to you. And I've given generously. What are you going to do with that? And I understood what God was saying to me in that moment. It wasn't, what are you going to do with what I've given to you? What are you going to do with the reality that I'm a generous God who gives? That's different. That's different than just weighing out my resources or checking my bank account to see how many dollars I got till payday or, or stuff like that. That's saying, hey, will you see me for who I am? I am the God who is able to give abundantly beyond anything you could ever have hoped or dreamed or asked for. And what are you going to do with this? She's standing in front of you, the pastor of Life Church. What are you going to do with this? And I said, hey, I'm going to jump in that Jeep out there and follow me to the gas station. And I filled her car up with gas. We're standing there at the station, and, she, and, and I go, where are you going? She goes, Colorado Springs. I said, oh, I know a church out there. It's a great church. My son used to attend that church. It's wonderful. Let me, let me tell you about this church. You need to get in this church. You know, and she's like, well, I think I know where that church is. You know, we're talking, and, and before it's over with, she's talking about, you know, Maybe it's time for me to really, you know, put God back in my life. And um, she's kind of got these tears in her eyes, and I kind of got some tears in my eyes. And then the, the little handle clicks, and it's over. And she, she starts to really cry then, and she puts her hand on me, and she goes, Thank you so much. I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what I would have done. She got in her truck, and I just stood there and watched this blue truck pull off and head out to the interstate. Was it right? Was it wrong? I don't know. What I know is that my God is big enough. And here's a mom who took her two little kids and left something that she felt was very unsafe. And she doesn't know how she's going to get to safety, but she knows safety's out there somewhere. I know it's a little bit further than Colorado Springs. I know it's upward. I know that. All right? And I tried to, I tried to help her to see that way. All right? You can go to Colorado Springs, but, but look up. All right? Because there is one who will help you. But here's how he helps a lot of times. He helps by moving us from emotion to action. And we become doers, not just hearers. And so then our faith really, really comes alive. The demons said, they believe, they shudder, they get afraid, they have faith. But it doesn't change them, they're still demons. Do we have faith that changes us? Do we have faith that, that transitions us out of just an emotional place of feel good to say, oh, I wish you the best? To say, oh my goodness, I need to do something here because my God is big enough and He has blessed me abundantly and I am able and so I will do. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to be honest with you. 
we got to quit worrying about getting used up. we got to quit worrying about being used or, or, or taken advantage of. we got to quit. I'm, I'm not saying don't be, be wise. I'm not, I mean, James in these passages constantly brings us back to wisdom here. He talks wisdom all the way through here. And godly wisdom is extremely important. But I'll tell you what, I think we have, we have erred on this and we've fallen more on worldly logic than godly wisdom. And that worldly logic has kept us out of that arena of obedient faith. And it's time to step back over and become the church again. The church that can make a difference. A church that can, can do something extreme and radical and crazy out there in the world. That says, hey, this is God. This is all about God. God is all over this. I don't want a church. I don't want to be the pastor of a church. Where it's all about the pastor's. Or it's all about some person. One one of the things I most want to do is bring us all to a common place. Get us all down there where we're, we're common and we're equal there before the cross of Calvary. And there at that place, our God gets so big because we get small enough to let Him be who He really is. And there in that place, we become one with Him in obedience to His Word, to His truth. And so I want, to, I want to challenge you and I in this. Here's the other thing. is that It seems that faith that coupled with right deeds really can justify us. How can, how can faith be shown without, without acting upon it? A person... A person may say he believes something or she believes something, but what is the real proof that he or she believes it? It's when they put that faith to work in doing. That's when they really say they believe. It's not with just the words spoken. James gives these two Old Testament examples. He gives Abraham. Abraham was justified in, 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 in works, in offering Isaac. There's a man, Abraham, oh my goodness, Years of moral service to God, you know? Head of the, the Jewish people. These, these two are so different, all right? Okay? Abraham was a man, of course. Rahab was a woman. Abraham's the head of the Jewish people, but uh, Rahab's a Canaanite. Abraham's a man of these, these years and years and years of moral service to God. And Rahab is this woman who's had a very immoral life as, as a prostitute. But both are justified in the same way. They're both justified through obedient faith. Abraham through these, these, this work of offering Isaac and Rahab justified by receiving the spies uh, in, in, into her home. And I, I, love, I love that stark difference between these two individuals. Everybody would say, oh, Abraham, of course he's justified. He's the father of the faith. He's the great Abraham, you know. He's, he's this wonderful, moral man. How many of you would have seen Rahab as justified? Knowing full well her story. Not just that she had harbored the spies. See, I think if, if, if we told the story and said, Oh, let me tell you about Rahab. She's this woman and, and, and she was living alone and, and she hid these spies at risk of her very own life. Uh, so, so God... Justified her. Good job. Way to go. That's awesome. Oh, by the way, she's a prostitute. Oh, oh, oh. But see, you just jumped in the wrong tree when you do that kind of stuff. 
Let's stay with God in the tree of life. And let's just live out this faith in obedience, all right? Let me make an application here, all right? Let me ask you a question. Is the effort to practice truth equal to the strength of your convictions against error? Look at divorce and marriage. What are you willing to do to have a good marriage, to save your marriage? This is one of those really tough places to talk about. It's not a reflection on people who are divorced or who have been, been married or not married now. But what I'm saying is, is what are you willing to do in faith to live out the truth of your convictions? Let me take it a step further. What, what are your aspirations? What aspirations do you have for this neighborhood? What, what could you do right now to make those aspirations happen? What, if I gave you a piece of paper and a pencil right now and said, write down your dream for this neighborhood, what would be in that dream? What would you say about this neighborhood? But the, the key question then is, what would you do to see that dream fulfilled? That, that strong conviction, that strong will and desire for this neighborhood and people in this neighborhood. What can you do to see that happen? I don't say this to, to puff someone up, but I, I have such great appreciation uh, for Ryan Lumley. Now, there are days that Ryan Lumley can drive me crazy. Absolutely crazy. I love him. I've never seen a man who can fly by the seat of his pants and get things done like Ryan Lumley can. And I'm not that way, and he knows it, and I know it. But we love each other, and we have a great time doing ministry together. But the thing that most is appealing to me about Ryan Lumley's life, and the thing that captures me and intrigues me the most about Ryan Lumley, is that he is one of those men in this church who has put action to his faith long before this message was ever preached. He and Tracy were the first to walk the streets of this neighborhood. They were the first to live in this neighborhood. They were the first to take little kids in this neighborhood and go get them on Sunday mornings and bring them to here to church consistently Sunday after Sunday to bring them here and to, to love on them and to be like spiritual mom and spiritual dad to them. Now, seriously, I, they didn't know I was going to do this. This wasn't to puff them up. I don't have any motive here other than I'm saying it's in this church. It is the heart of this church. And people in this church do it. But we can do so much more, I think, in this area if we can grab this, or grab a hold of this. And that is that Ryan and I are, are human beings. And, and we, are, we, we understand our, our vulnerability, our weakness, and our sinfulness. But it doesn't stop us. And it's never stopped Ryan from, from saying, I got a dream about the lost children of this neighborhood. And though it's cost them financially and otherwise, they've been willing to get out there on the streets 
and find those kids and bring them into this church. And so I want to challenge you and I that we do the same. Not necessarily go out and get kids. That may not be your forte. That may not be in your gift mix. But what is it that is your dream for this neighborhood? And what can you do now? Now let me ask you another one. Is there a known truth from scriptures that you intend to obey someday? <laughs> I know, but I know. Well, I'm I'm not like that. What will you do about it today? How will you respond to that truth today? And I want to ask you one more question and we're closing here. This message today, has it moved you? Has it moved you in some way? And if so, what will you do with that? What will you do with what God has spoken to you? What we believe is important. But a dynamic, vibrant faith is more than an idea moving us or a conviction gripping us. It is the act of obedience to that conviction or that gripping of God on our heart. And I challenge you today to let God search your heart and show you what it is you can do. Pastor, come. All right. Appreciate James and the word that was spoken to us. Uh, I want to give you guys an opportunity today as we uh, are in the habit of doing, and that is if you are sitting here today and as we're talking about how to live out your life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, if you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm not in that camp yet. Um, I've never made a decision like that. I, I really don't even know what that is to, to follow this man, Jesus. Um, I do think that now, what Pastor Bill was describing is that Christianity should be good for everybody around us. Um, and James asked that question, what good is it if we don't live out what Jesus taught us to do, to lay down our lives, to, to take upon ourselves the form of a servant? And um, so I'm going to give you an opportunity today. The story is very simple that we come around here. This is what we celebrate every Sunday, um, which is the day of, of resurrection. Uh, we celebrate this man, Jesus. Uh, in the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created human beings and he made them perfect. They were sinless. And uh, the, the communion with God was uh, perfect. It was without flaw. And then mankind rebelled against God and broke his law. And therefore, there was a separation. And now you and me and all of our children are born into sin. That's why we don't have to teach our kids how to lie or how to disobey. It just happens naturally. So they're very good at it naturally, uh, which we are learning. Um, yeah, every day we're learning that more and more. Like, hey, yeah, this is right. The Bible's right. Everything's lining up here. Uh, but so we're born with this innate ability to sin, and we commit sin. So no matter how good you think you are, you are still innately a sinner. And therefore, um, we serve a just God, and, and our sin deserves a punishment. The Bible says that God is so holy that uh, our sin deserves punishment for eternity in hell. Um, that I deserve that, 
You deserve that. Our children deserve that, as wonderful as they are. Each one of us deserves eternal punishment for our sin in hell. And we know that that's a perfect punishment because God is perfectly just. He would not give a punishment that was too harsh or that was too soft. And we see how just and how perfectly just he is because he took his own son and he said, I want to make a way for human beings to come back into right relationship with me. I want to provide a way out of their eternal punishment. And he gave his own son and he crucified him on the cross. He took all of the eternal punishment of hell and balled it up on him and caused him to suffer that, turned his back on his own son. It was kind of his final statement that sin cannot go unpunished. I am a just God and it must be punished. And therefore I'm willing to give my own son. And because Jesus was also God, he could take the place of our sin um, because he didn't have any sin. You know, as, as uh, I love you all, but if I decided, hey, God, can I take the punishment for the sins of life, church? It'd be a great, nice gesture, but it would never work because I'd have to take the punishment for my own sin. So that was, that's why it's very important that Jesus was God. If you ever hear somebody say that Jesus was a good man or he was a good prophet um, or he was uh, a wise teacher, I would, I would say that that doesn't do us a whole lot of good. Because if he wasn't God, then he cannot take the place of your sin. God put the punishment that you and I deserved on Jesus, on his son. And in that moment, when Jesus took that punishment, he died, was buried, and then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death for you and for me, so that when we put our faith and our hope and trust in him, which is backed by a changed life, which is backed by renewed life and works, then we find salvation and eternal life in him. And if you are wanting to do that today, if you're wanting to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, the Bible's clear throughout and even through James that we are not saved by what we do, but that what we do simply validates something that's happened in our hearts. It makes it real. It says to the world around us, something real did happen. And so if you're wanting to make that decision today to invite Jesus Christ to be uh, in your heart, as we, as we tell our kids, it's kind of weird. Um, we, we say, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And I, I know that that is kind of a little kid thing, but it's really that. You're asking him, come into my life and save me from my sin. You're turning from any effort that you would make to save yourself and your self-righteousness, and you're turning from your sin and you're saying, Jesus, I can't do it. I need you. And it's that simple. It really is. So if you'd like to come today, we want to provide you an opportunity. So if we can... Um, have some music during this time, that would be great. And some people will be up here um, to pray for you. Uh, if you are impacted by the message today and you say, hey, I would like to uh, have prayer for this dream that God has put in my heart for this neighborhood, or maybe it's for your workplace, or uh, maybe it's for some people in your community, in your neighborhood where you live, that you're like, you know, I know that God has been impressing on my heart that I need to live out my faith with works. Or maybe he's calling you to give to orphans as we talked about last week, and, and there's such incredible need in Africa, and he's laying something big on your heart, and you're just not sure you can wrap your mind around it. You're not sure you can trust him at that level. Please come and get prayer. We'd love to pray for you as well.